Wow. Good morning. I don't know about you, but sitting in worship this morning, I just felt like, wow, do we need anything else? Can we just go home right now? It kind of felt like, um, you know, the disciples going up on the mountain and being transfigured and then Jesus being transfigured and just, they said, you know, they told Jesus, how about we build a couple of tabernacles, one for, you know, one for us, one for you, one for, we got to go down. So I I just feel uh, very blessed this morning and very humbled to be able to share the, the word with you guys. Thank you. Uh, Ryan, thank you for the opportunity, and thank you guys for being able to be here this morning. Um, A woman and a man got into um, a really bad, bad car accident. When they uh, crawled out of the cars, they looked at the cars, and both cars were completely totaled. But they crawled out of there, and they looked at each other, and they said, wow, this is incredible. I'm not hurt. I don't have any broken bones, anything. Are you hurt? man said, no, I'm not hurt. That's amazing. This has got to be God. It must mean that God wanted us to somehow meet and live in harmony together for the rest of our lives. Don't you agree? And the man said, yeah, I agree. You're right. This has got to be God. And the woman said, wow, and look at this. Here's another miracle. I mean, our cars are completely totaled. And I had a bottle of wine in the car, and it's not broken. It's crazy. He says, how about we just open it up and drink it? I believe that God wanted us to to have that so that we can celebrate our good fortunes. And so the woman took the bottle and gives it to the man. The man opens up the screw top and drinks half of the bottle and gives it to the woman and says, here, your turn. The woman takes the top, puts it back on it, gives it back to the man and says, the man said, aren't you going to drink any to celebrate? He says, no, I think I'll wait for the cops. (laughs) If you didn't get it, ask the person that's laughing out loud, what does he mean? The struggle is real. We're still in the bottle plane. By the way, I don't know about... Have any of you wondered why this battle dude who's got the Dallas Cowboys signal on him? I've been wondering that for like for a few weeks. I think we should change it with the 49ers. 5 and 0. Okay, just saying that. Yeah, that's right. We believe in miracles. Uh, Open up your Bibles to... Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 this morning. And if you don't have the Bible, open up your smart tablet, iPhone, Android, whatever you have. And we're going to read the scripture that's going to go up there. There it is. If you have it, just look at the person next to you and say, I got it. Hey, why don't you look at the person next to you and tell them the battle is real. The battle is real. Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers 
of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The spiritual struggle is a real struggle. And it's not only for people that may consider themselves the spiritually fanatic, the, you know, the ones that are constantly in the word, right? It is a struggle that we're all somehow in some way engaged in. So far in this series, we've heard a lot about what spiritual warfare involves, what it is and what it is not. And so this topic is a topic that it's, it, I think it, it, it goes from one spectrum to the next. It is either highly spoken of, constantly talked about in some circles, or not enough in others. <clears throat> some people see devils under every chair, behind every corner, and others don't see the activity of the enemy at all. And so my goal this morning is to help us gain a biblical awareness and understanding of the activities of the enemy and our responsibility as believers what do we do to increase our awareness of the schemes of the enemy paul says that we should not be ignorant of the devil's schemes we agree with that we should not be ignorant of his schemes so that he may not and that's a very interesting word that he uses outwit us and so many times we are outwit by the devil because we're ignorant of the ways that he operates. Yet sadly, so many times is the contrary. Is there, there's some people that give too much devil, some others that don't give enough. And so there's a, there's a reality lacking in understanding of the struggle that we face. Many of us, and for many of us, the struggle is a real struggle. This is not just something that we talk about or read about or it's a topic of discussion or maybe just a series in the church. We actually really do struggle with stuff. We do. <clears throat> is that fear this morning that you struggle with? Perhaps anger, discouragement, depression, bitterness, Lies, deceit, addictions of various types. How about rejection or self-rejection and all the self-stuff that we go through, the self-loathing and, and, and all the things that we talk to ourselves in a negative way about. You see, it's a continual war for the control of our souls and of our spirits, not to bend to the scheme and the wills of, of the enemy. In fact, as much as God has a plan for our lives, I want to tell you this morning that the enemy has got a plan for your life. And his, his plan, <clears throat> according to John 10, 10, is to steal, kill, and destroy. I think we all know that verse very well. But very seldom does that reality truly penetrate in our lives. Because he is after us. So... Do you realize that this morning that the enemy is after us? His schemes are aimed at what is most precious in your life and in my life. And so ask yourself this morning, what is the most precious thing that you have in your life? Well, let me give you some to help us out. First of all, our marriages. The devil is after our marriages. 
In the church, the statistics are probably worse than in the world. I believe I recently heard 53% of marriages in the church end up in divorce. It's incredible. How about our children? How many of us have, are struggling because we had children that grew up in the ways of the Lord and then they just kind of walked away. And so we struggle with understanding God. Why is that? Our children, they're very precious to us. That the enemy's after them. He wants to corrupt the legacy that we are building in this life. If you were here last Tuesday, you know exactly what we're talking about. We talked about legacy. So powerful. He wants our families, but he also wants our time. He wants our finances. He wants our future. He's after our wholeness. Our wholeness of in, in, that is physical, health-wise, our souls, and our spirit. is after our walk with God. He wants to impact and thwart your love and affection toward God. He wants to destroy your life and unity inside this body. He is after that. And more than ever, the, the enemy plans to do one thing that he just loves, absolutely loves. And it's to put us into a... A sense of isolation to just be alone. If we can just be isolated from the rest of the world, the rest of the church will be fine. That's a lie. It is a lie. Now, some of these are some of his targets. I'm sure you probably know some others that you're going through, and I may not have mentioned. But <clears throat> the reality is that there's a a war that's going on in the unseen realms of this world. In Matthew 24, verse 7. Jesus, speaking of the last days, talks about that there will be nation against nation. And then he says, kingdom against kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never heard of a nation called a kingdom. That reference to kingdom is actually a reference to a spiritual kingdom. There is something going on in the air, in a spiritual kingdom, where in the last days there will be kingdom against kingdom and so we as kingdom citizens are called to fight we are called to take a stand against the plans of the enemy and not let him run us over that is our responsibility his plans he sorry he plans for us to live a defeated life he wants us to lose our influence our effectiveness both in our with our families with our friends in the church in our culture. But we are called to spread the gospel of the kingdom of God. We are called to stand firm on the principles of the pure word of God. And I want to highlight that word pure word of God. Because many times the message gets watered down, doesn't it? I don't know about you. When I get up in the morning, I enjoy a good cup of coffee. I, I'm not a two, three, four cups of coffee guy. I like to have a good cup of coffee and occasionally I sometimes don't put enough coffee or I put too much water and you know what happens right watered down coffee is probably the worst <laughs> even the color looks like what, what is that you know I was born and raised in Italy and my dad you know every time he sees me drink a cup of coffee in America he tells me like what is that dirty water what, what's that <laughs> that's what he calls this dirty water but, you know, it's the same way with the Word of God. There's a pure, unadulterated, 
gospel message that needs to be highlighted. We serve a mighty God, not a small God who is limited and incapable. And he is able to give us the victory. In fact, in Matthew 11 and 12, it says that the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. There's got to be a reality in us, church, that we are not going to surrender when the enemy comes and he wants to run rush over us and he just wants to live a defeated life. We need to wake up to that realization and we need to take a stand. We are called to fight. So here are some of the things that I <clears throat> believe we need to realize. First of all, we must realize that we're surrounded and harassed by hidden forces and the devil is the prince of the powers of the air. We heard that in, uh, uh, when Pastor Ryan spoke about the first and the third heaven, consequently the second heaven. He rules the second heaven. That's his domain. The devil will target us if we pose a danger to him. He will target you. He will come after you. And if your life is smooth sailing... You may want to check your level of commitment for God. Right? If we're never attacked, if we, everything is just so beautiful, ask yourself the question, how much am I committed to Christ? Now that's not to say that sometimes we're attacked because of our bad choices. I just want to say that. But the more we choose to live a life of God in our identity, in the identity that God calls us to be as sons and daughters, the more the enemy will be on our trail. Now, I know that that sometimes can be discouraging. It can be discouraging because you're like, oh, I just want to serve God. Do I have to go through all these trials and tribulations and temptations and things? It can be discouraging, but don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged because that is also a scheme of the enemy. To get you down and discouraged about yourself. We are called to fight. In 2 Corinthians 4 and 18, it says that the things that are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. This life belongs only in part to what we see, guys. Only in part. There's a higher reality in the unseen realm. And the struggle is much more real in that world than it is in this world. In fact, the Greek word for wrestling is a, the Greek word pale. And it's actually root word for what we use in, uh, in the uh, wrestling schools. A wrestling school is called a palestra. And in, in the Greek. And so that is actually the word that means this. Check this. Wrestling is a struggle. It means a conflict. It means a contest between two. Where one tries to pin the other down. And a victor is decided when one is able to hold the other down by his neck. I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You remember what happened? 
When God cursed the serpent and he told them, you are cursed and the seed of the woman will crush your head. That is what we are called to do. It was prophesied way back, way back in Genesis, that God is calling us to wrestle with the enemy because his plan is to absolutely derail us from walking in our destiny in God. And so we're called to fight this morning. It's literally a hand-to-hand struggle. In fact, another translation of, of wrestling is actually a tug-of-war. Don't you feel sometimes it's like that? It's like a tug-of-war. It's like the enemy takes an inch and then we just pull back and we gain like two inches and then he just takes another inch. And it's a constant struggle, back and forth, back and forth. And it can be discouraging. But this morning, there's a reality that we need to let that penetrate inside of our hearts. Is that we are not only called to struggle and and called to wrestle, but we are called to win. We are called to win. I love Caleb's prayer earlier. Like, we we win. You know, you look at the back of the book, we already have won. But there are four areas that I want to discuss with us this morning. Number one, we need to realize what lies beneath the surface. Realize what lies beneath the surface. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. I absolutely love the message translation of this. I'm going to we're going to put it up and read it. For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aim. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. That incredible translation. Now, can I be honest with you this morning? <clears throat> there are many times when I don't realize, or maybe realize it too late, that the things that I may have said, my responses to people that tried to engage me, to affront me, to say something that was rude, I realize it too late, or sometimes I don't realize it at all, and I just knee-jerk reaction, right? You're going to hurt me? You know, grab him by the neck. I'm going to hurt you. <clears throat> that is not the way God has intended that we fight this fight. Sometimes that knee-jerk reaction that, that we have, the self-control that goes out the window, Right? The issue is that when things calm down, I feel pretty crappy after, right? You experience that? It's like, man, I should not have said that. I should not have done that. I should not have reacted that way. The good news is that we have a father who is patient with us. In fact, the Bible says that he is long-suffering. He's always willing to work with us in our struggle. See, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And there is no condemnation for us this morning. When we realize that our struggle is not against people, there's an extra step that we must take. We must separate them. And what I mean, what I mean by separation is that <clears throat> the sinful behavior that is committed against us from the person that may have wronged us are two separate things. We separate them. So I want to illustrate that for you this morning. This is a teaching that we used to do years ago. And <clears throat> this is the you, is the one amazing creature that God has created, that God has, uh, God has uh, made us beautiful. He has made us in his image. That's us, right? But every once in a while, next slide, <clears throat> sin comes into the picture. And that comes into the form of self, stuff, things that we go through, right? Or from others impacting and affecting us in our responses to that. And so what happens when those circumstances take place, the next slide, how do we see ourselves is very important. Because for the most part, we see ourselves that way. We see a person <clears throat> and we see the sin that they've committed against us. And so we get angry. <clears throat> we get upset at the person. We make the person, the sin, the same entity. But they're not. They're absolutely not. Can we go back to the previous one? That's how it is. And so <clears throat> you say, what is the meaning of all this? If you look at the you created in God's image and the sin that has been committed or perpetrated against you or not. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Who can forgive sin? Come on, talk to me. God. God is the only one that can actually forgive sin. Now, we forgive our trespasses against those who trespass against us. But the actual sin itself, God alone can erase the sin. And so when you separate the two, when someone has done something against you, and you understand that it's, somebody is at work in their lives, and it's not that beautiful person. Sometimes, you know, we have struggles, husband and wives. You're married, you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> or with close friends, brothers and sisters. There's love there for one another. But at times it's just stronger. Our response is our reaction. We respond and react to the sin without seeing the beautiful creation that God has made. And so the separation basically says this. I can forgive you, made in God's image, but I recognize that the enemy is at work in your life. And so I can pray for you. I can stand in the gap for you. That is the proper way of fighting the struggle against flesh and blood. We don't fight people. We don't look at them and say, you're sinful because you said this against me or because you believe this and I don't believe it. What we do is we fight the enemy behind it. That's what we do. And we forgive the creation that is made beautiful by God. You see, we must be keen to see what lies beneath the surface. We must be aware of that. The enemy wants us to fight the spirit of rejection, whether it is in us 
or in others with isolation. Isolation. You know that the spirit behind rejection says this, that if you can, that the the spirit of rejection says, I'm going to reject you before you reject me. Rejection pushes others away before you get pushed away. Because it knows that. That's the spirit of rejection. He wants us to fight offenses with bitterness, with outbursts of anger, time, at times even murdering people with our mouths. Proverbs 18 and 21 says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And we must be aware of that. He wants us to respond to discouragement with detaching ourselves by detaching from the Heavenly Father in our relationship with God. He wants us to respond to depression by checking out on life and not fighting it the way that God calls us to do it. To look at it as the enemy at work in our lives and to just go after those things in a biblical uh, sense, in a biblical response way. We have to see what lies beneath the surface. What seems to be is not always what truly is. When it comes to the spiritual world. The devil will not alter his strategy. And just because you were born in a Christian family. Because you come to church and read the Bible on Sunday. That does not mean that he will stop from coming after you. In fact, I want to tell you this morning. That he will come after you even harder. Because of your commitment to Christ. He absolutely wants to dismantle your belief in God. And the reason why you are committed in loving God. He will do all he can to discourage us. Someone said, what the enemy tells you not to do, do it twice. What the enemy tells you not to do, do it twice. I'm not going to do that well. Do it twice. He whispers, you're too old. Don't do it. You can't do it. Do it twice. You're too young. Mm -hmm. You don't know what it takes. Do it twice. He comes to you and he says, don't read the Bible. You don't need to waste your time reading the word of God. Do it twice. You feel sometimes like you want to build a sanctuary in your household and just worship God. And and you hear the words whispering in your ears that tells you, ah, you don't need to do that. Do it twice. What the enemy tells you not to do, do it twice. Second, we need to realize that this is not a one-time battle. It's a war of cosmic proportions. A philosopher in the 1800s said, I love the brave, but it is not enough to be a swordman. One must also know against whom to use a sword. We must know against whom to use a sword. The question that I want to ask you this morning is, do we truly understand that we are fighting an enemy whose sole purpose is to steal and kill and destroy? You know, it's interesting, I, I went through, I wanted to see if there was different ways to actually, uh, that translators use the word steal, kill, and destroy. 
I went through like probably about 10 different versions of the Bible. And all of them just about say the same thing. But the Passion Translation, I like that it says, A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. You see the enemy's plan versus God's plan. It's incredible. He's a thief. But his power is limited to the access that we give him. He doesn't have all powers to come in. He will take only what we give him to accomplish his purposes. And all he needs, guys, is a foothold. In Ephesians 4 and 27, it says that we should not give the devil a foothold. Do not give an opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. And in fact, that... Foothold or opportunity is translated a place or a region, and I love this, a seat. Don't give the enemy a seat in your life. Because that person only has a seat when he's comfortable. Come on now. When he gets comfortable, he takes a seat. He's got to relax. The devil is relentless in his approach. And although he has limited powers, he will exercise his strategy to defeat us and overcome us over and over and over again. In Romans 12 and verse 2 it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Renewing of the mind, church, requires more than just a one-time exercise of replacing the negative with the positive. Renewing of the mind is a consistent living and exercising the truths of the Word of God. Because I truly believe this morning, guys. I believe it with all my heart that the Word of God, as the sword of the Spirit, will cut through the clutter of negative thinking. But also it will change us. It will transform us and give us victory over those things that we struggle against. We struggle with oppression, struggles of any kind, suggestions that come from the enemy. The word of God will cut through that. There's a friend of mine in Montreal. He's an evangelist. And prior to his calling to serving God, he was actually in a home. That lost his mind. And somebody told him, you need to start reading the Bible. You know what he did? He's a Greek guy. Read the Bible over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then some more. And then some more. And then some You know what happened to him? He got dismissed. And then God called him to ministry. And now God is using him to go all over Canada to speak the word of God. That God can set people free even today. And God can do it. And he will do it. It's a struggle of cosmic proportions. You remember what happened to Daniel. He had prayed. The answer wasn't coming. Because the prince of Persia, as the angel says, that demonic force over that region was obstructing the answer from coming. The struggle is real. But it's also a very much, very much a personal struggle. 
Satan disguises himself as the angel of light. We must be careful to what seems good, what looks good, and what tastes good. Because you know what? Sometimes good can be the enemy of best. We must be aware of his schemes. And that's why in these last days in which we find ourselves, we need to pray and ask God to give us discernment, more and more discernment for the things of God. Because having knowledge of the truth with the discernment of spirit will enable us to defeat the enemy. <clears throat> we must realize, number three, our weapons are powerful. There are a number of weapons at our disposal, according to the word. But I want to quickly bring a couple out. One, prayer. Prayer. We're in the midst of 30 days of prayer at church. We're a church that believes in prayer and the power of prayer. And prayer, church, is more than just the expression that, we, that comes out of our mouths. Prayer is a disposition of the heart. It's a posturing of ourselves before the Father. Prayer is a lifestyle. That means that God will hear us wherever and whenever we turn to Him. It, you don't have to be a church. You don't have to be on your knees. You don't have to be sitting down with your Bible in your hands. God will hear you wherever you are and whenever you turn to Him. That means that your car going to work can be your sanctuary. That means that as you're doing the dishes or doing the laundry or cutting the grass or for me, my favorite thing is just when I run, I'm just alone with God. All my thoughts go toward Him. I pray for my family. I pray for my church. I pray for things that matter in my life. I ask God to, to bless areas of my life. That's my sanctuary. Whenever and wherever we turn to God, that place can become a sanctuary for God. In Psalms chapter 19 verse 14 it says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. You see the words are the vehicle for expressing our prayers. But the meditation and the posturing of our hearts is the most important thing when it comes to prayer. The second weapon is intimacy and relationship with God. God is not a bubblegum machine. When you put in a quarter and you get your nice little bubblegum and you go happy on your way. But sometimes you get angry because we say, oh God, I got the bubblegum, but I wanted the red one, not the yellow one. You say, <laughs> you say, why is that? Why will God not give me what I need and what I want every time? Because God knows best. You may be praying for what seems to be a big deal for you. And God's got something greater for you. You may be asking God for provision when God wants to give you a job that pays double what you're making now. Ask him. Ask him. We don't always get what we want, but many times we get exceedingly, abundantly, and above and beyond what we can think. In Acts chapter 3, when the, uh, Peter was going to the temple, and he met this man, the crippled man at the gate called Beautiful. That man was asking for change. But that day, something very powerful happened, because that man got more than change. 
He got real change in his life. Because God touched him through, the, through Peter. And the, his ankles got strengthened and his legs quickened. And he began to walk and leaping and praising God. He got more than just a little change. He got real change. You see, there are things that we need to do with God. And that is having intimacy and relationship with God. So that we see absolutely no limits to what he can do. Intimacy with the Father is what we need more than we realize. And if we don't have it, we're missing something powerful. In John 15 and 4 and 5 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. To abide means to stay, to be held, to be kept continually, not to depart. We must learn to stay in his embrace more and more intimacy. Finally, we must realize that the battle requires personal discipline. The enemy is very organized. Let's, let's look at our text again in Ephesians 6.12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces. To be honest with you guys, I really don't understand the, the hierarchy of the enemy. But one thing I know, that as much as he is organized in the way that he perpetrates his plan and his activity in this earth, we must also be organized. And we must also be disciplined. And there's an aspect of discipline that I want to bring out that I believe is very, very important. And that is, that has to do with the church, with you and me. The church is a family. We are not alone. We should never feel alone or left alone in this struggle. And as hard as it may be for some that have a hard time because of your personality to open up and share and just feel comfortable in the church, we need to support one another. We need to partner together in this battle. Of course, first and foremost, we partner with God, but we need each other. And that is why we place such emphasis and focus on the prayer ministry at the end of, 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 of our Sundays. Because we believe that as we partner together, as we pray together, God moves on our behalf. We value partnering together for breakthrough. But there's also someone else that partners with us, and that is God. In fact, in 2 Kings, in chapter 6 and verse 16, when uh, Elisha... And his servant realized that they were surrounded by uh, a, a terrible Syrian army. Elisha told the man, his servant, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then he prayed this. Love that second verse. Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord. Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. What did he see? The mountain was full of horses and chariots, a fire all around Elisha. Now, I don't know about you, but that is an incredible vision to have. That's incredible to realize that those who are for us 
are greater than the enemy. You know, when Lucifer rebelled in heaven, he took one-third of the angels with him. He's got incredible power of suggestion. Think about it for a moment. Angels that were in the presence of Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He was able to convince one-third of them to go down and to leave heaven. To leave heaven. Now that tells me that there are two-thirds of the angels that are still there and are for us. That I think if I know my math correctly, is two for one. Come on, guys. We win. We are in great numbers. I want you to know that you and God are always the majority because the struggle, the fight was never between Lucifer and God. There was no contest there. None. It is for us. It is for us to stand on the promises of God. We are never alone. Let me finish with this. Ephesians 6 and 13 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. We're called to stand firm, steadfast, undeterred, resolute, unwavering, and not giving the enemy not even an inch. That's what we're called to do. But how can we do that? Well, the Bible has the answer. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. As we submit ourselves to God, that means that we submit our plans, we submit our schemes, our ways of resisting the devil. We submit all to him. And then what do we do? We resist the devil and he will flee. To resist the enemy is literally to stand up against his agendas, his methods, to oppose the effects of, to set yourself against him, to withstand any of the attacks. That's what it means. We resist him. We put up our hand and we say, no more. It ends right here. No more. You will not gain this territory. No more. You're not going to have my family. No more. You're not going to have my job. You will not have my children. You will not have my future. No more. In Proverbs 6 verse 30. I will finish with this. It says, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. I think that's normal, right? Who is the thief? Satan is a thief. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. You can't blame the devil for doing what his job is. But there's something else in there. It says, but if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. You know, there's a reality there that we must be that we must make our own this morning. That I don't know what the enemy has been stealing from you. If he's taking your joy, if he's taking that, that sense of living that you've always had, but all of a sudden you feel down on yourself, don't, you know what? It stops right here. He has to give it back sevenfold. He has to give it back sevenfold. 
Maybe your children are going through a struggle in their lives and they're not walking with the Lord. Stand on the promises of God and we'll stand with you as a church and we'll believe that God will do His work and the enemy has to return a sevenfold. All of the promises that God has given you that you feel like you feel discouraged and disappointed have not come to pass. You know what? If you stand on the Word of God, He will have to return it to you sevenfold. Sevenfold. Do you believe it this morning? Amen. Amen. We are called to fight, church. God bless you.